0: capital of the world, Indianapolis, Indiana, welcome to season four, episode number seven of the greatest spectacle in podcasting, the Seventh Gear Overreb Show. As per usual, I am your host, Kevin Krause, and this week's show is going to be a rather unique kind of departure from our norm where we typically interview some fantastic guests. We do race reviews, race recaps, uh, anybody and any, anyone that's involved in the, in the motorsports industry, uh, which is part of the reason why my good friend and co-host, Mr. John McGrath, is not with us this week. This is going to be kind of a solo show, and you'll know why here in just a moment. But before we get into that, I want to, first of all, give our sincere apologies to all of our listeners worldwide for the lack of a show that we didn't have last week, which would have normally been our regular drop date, and you'll you'll understand why here in just a moment. As many of you race fans know, especially those of you uh, older and IndyCar fans, you'll know the name Unser very, very well, particularly Mom Unser. Uh, Mom Unser was very instrumental and involved in her boys, Bobby and Al, and the entire Unser family's racing careers. You may remember that iconic jacket from the early 70s when there was the tire war going on between Goodyear and Firestone, where they had the jackets that said Fire Year or Goodstone or something like that, where it was like half of one jacket and half of another. Why do I bring that reference of mom answer up you know thinking even to her her famous chili recipe that she would make every may for for the Indy 500 the reason i bring that reference up is because these last couple of weeks uh, in in my family personally we've we've lost an icon in our family, the matriarch of our family, my mother, the, an amazing, incredible woman, my wonderful mother, Donna Krause, passed away on April 7th after a long battle with dementia and then Alzheimer's. Now, I, I don't bring that up to make this show uh, kind of a, a long history lesson of all the, the great things that mom did for me, but I do bring that up because this is a racing show. And my mom, like mom Munzer, was very, very involved in my racing career, whether she liked it or not. So so rather than go down the road of, you know, the horrible tragedy of, of her loss and the and the big shoes that she's left behind to fill uh, from a, a very small woman that was a lot of energy in a, in a tiny package, I, I say that because I would like in this episode just to kind of share some stories of mom's involvement in my racing career, just to kind of give you a little perspective and to, and to pay tribute to this incredible woman that I've been so blessed to have as my mother. So with that said, gang, let's get right into it, shall we? You know, my, my passion and my interest in, in racing started a long, long time ago, even before I can remember. And I guess, you know, even though we're talking about mom, this this particular show, uh, my passion and interest in racing was started by her father, my grandfather, who was a World War II uh, bomber co-pilot o- over Europe in, in Germany in particular. Back in the day, he did all the timing and scoring out at State Fair Park in Milwaukee, which is actually where I grew up about 20 minutes from there. And... In the the mid to late 60s, you got to remember, folks, that back then, it's not like now where the driver's wives were, uh, you know, accompanying their husbands and and boyfriends and so forth onto pit lane and sitting up in the pit stand, the timing stand and had headsets on and that sort of thing. Back then, the driver's wives weren't allowed in the pits. It's, I know it's kind of hard to believe, but the driver's wives weren't allowed in the pits. So typically what they would do is all the driver's wives would gather in the infield and they would put a picnic blanket down and they would tell stories and share recipes and do all those kinds of things. So back when I was just a wee little baby, my mom would go often enough to the fair park in Milwaukee. Typically the week after the Indy 500, because then that was the tradition, right? You went to Milwaukee the week after the 500. Well, she knew most of the driver's wives and would sit on a picnic blanket in the middle of the infield with Mrs. Foyt and Mrs. Unser and Mrs. Ruby and Mrs. Andretti and, you know, all of those driver's wives. And she would take me with and quite literally would pass me around as, as a baby to all of the women that, and the driver's wife that she would sit with and they would comment and she will, she would tell this story up until her dying day, just a a couple of weeks ago that, you know, she, you know, they all thought you were the cutest, sweetest little kid. And then right after that, she'd turn around and say, she'd say to me, she goes, so what happened? (laughs) But uh, that was kind of where it all started is kind of in that, in that little that little sorority, I guess you could call it, of, of the driver's wives and then people that were close to them. And from there, I, I also vividly remember this must have been probably around 19. 19- I don't know, 70 or so. And still, it was of the era where most of the guys, the drivers, the mechanics, whatnot, they would wear white t-shirts and white pants and they were all, you know, full of dirt and grime and grease and that sort of thing. Well, I remember in the infield at Milwaukee one year, I don't remember exactly the year, but I saw a group of guys standing around in a big circle, you know, kind of congregating together. And I was like, well, something's going on there. I got to find out what it is, you know, being a curious little kid. And so I kind of Horned my way in between these these grown men's legs and kind of pushed my way in to see what was going on and lo and behold I'd managed to push my way right into the middle of a driver's meeting <laughs> so I guess the die was cast from there you know and then years later you know my grandfather was again he being the the impetus for my my passion in motorsports took me to Indianapolis the Motor Speedway for the first time when I was ten years old and we just went for a number of years to watch qualifying and we would camp right there on Georgetown Road right by the creek out of the back of his Mercury grand Marquis station wagon. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever to, to ride down from Milwaukee to Indy in the back of that station wagon. And that was powder blue with the wood paneling side. So a lot of great, great memories from that. So that was, that was kind of the very beginning of, of my involvement in motorsports and, and mom being right there uh, as part of it and kind of facilitating that who knew that years later she would probably have rude that decision, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying? So, moving forward, back, uh, back, forward to the mid to late 80s in 1987, I decided that I was going to take a shot at this motor racing thing to see if I had any, any skill to, for it. So, I saved up my pennies and I put myself through a racing school up in Canada. At the time, it was called the Spinard David Racing School. And they had a great program where he took a three-day class. And you know, if you did well, you would get kind of a scholarship to go on to the runoffs. And if you did well at the runoffs and won that, then they would sponsor you in their school racing series. And if you won that, then they would sponsor you in their in the Canadian Formula Ford uh, 2000 Pro Series, which at the time was huge. They would have 40 plus car fields, the whole deal. So I saved, saved up my pennies and, and nickels and, and all that stuff. And certainly the exchange rate was very favorable and went to the spin. Art School in 1987. And unbeknownst to me, my mom and dad had made plans to come visit me while I was up there and surprise me. And they showed up, I think it was on the last day of that three-day school. And ironically well, I shouldn't say ironically, but I did wind up winning the school. That was where I got my first taste of success, right? I, I won the school and got to go on from there. I got a scholarship from Canadian Tire and General Motors of Canada, Moto Master, the, the whole deal. But uh, what I didn't know until after I finished that three-day program and won that my, my mother told me that my grandfather had told her to never let me go race because it was just too dangerous. But at that point, the horse was out of the barn, shall we say. <laughs> that got it started. So then the following year, I hooked up with a gentleman uh, outside of Elkhart Lake that took me under his wing, and we worked out a, a kind of a rent-to-own deal on a, a Formula Ford 2000. It was a 1983 Van Diemen, and he showed me how to do the alignments and the tuning and the setups and all that kind of stuff. So that was, that was really where the racing stuff started to gain traction, and I thought it was unbelievably cool and, and amazing. And I'm so grateful that, that mom and dad chose to surprise me because I did not know that they were coming. So very, very cool memory there. And there's the, you'll probably see some pictures on the promos of parts of those scenes. But if we move forward a couple of years from there, when I was actually racing on my own and doing all my own work, had you know my own truck and trailer and, and I had a shop and I was doing all my own prep work. And that's the very same 83 Van Diemen. I was racing in the SECA June Sprints up at Road America, which for those of you that don't know, in sports car club of uh, of america racing that's probably the second biggest event of the season outside of their runoff competition at the end of the year so it was at road america obviously my my favorite one of if not the favorite racetrack of mine in all of north america but in the June sprints, for those of you that are familiar with Road America, they tell you all about the kink, right? The the infamous kink. And that was before they had put the motorcycle chicane in there. But supposedly, <laughs> supposedly, the kink was able to be taken flat out. And I hadn't quite gotten the bravery yet to do that. So I was closing in on it. I was getting closer and closer to taking the kink flat. And I was a little bit past halfway distance in the race. And I think I was kind of running on my own. But I decided, you know, I was going to take the kink flat. I was going to take the kink flat, and I had a couple of adjustments I could make inside the car, one of which was brake bias. The other one was the rear sway bar. So I made the adjustment to the rear bar put my left foot over my right foot and I held my breath and turned in for the kink flat out. And right as soon as I turned in, the rear end broke free. I dropped the left rear wheel right off the edge of the the pavement and it hooked the car, spun me around. I don't, I don't even know how many times, but it spit me back across the track and I wound up pancaking the uh, concrete retaining wall on the driver's right-hand side at the exit of the kink. Hit it hard enough, and I was, I don't know, I was going over 100, but uh, hit it hard enough that I bounced off the concrete retaining wall and then came to a stop perpendicular to race traffic in the middle of the racetrack, pretty much right at the exit of the kink. And I'm thinking, oh shit, I'm, I'm done now, I'm going to get T-boned, this is going to get ugly, and I didn't know where the traffic was. I didn't know how close the leaders were to where I was. So I stayed in the car till the end of the race. Cause in my mind I was in the safest place I could be. Right. I had a full roll cage around me. I was strapped in. If I got hit, at least that was better than trying to run to the other, one of the other sides of the racetrack and wind up getting hit like a deer or a Turkey or something like that. So, and then at the end of the race, the corner workers came up to me and they're like, why didn't you, why didn't you get out of the car? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't know where these guys are. I don't know. I'm certainly not going to try to run across the track and wind up getting nailed. So once the race was over, you know, of course, and I'm not thinking about this, I'm thinking about how much this wreck is going to cost me to fix and not thinking about what mom's thinking about. Well, <laughs> she's worried, right? Of course, any mom would be worried because she didn't see me come around for a handful of laps. However, many laps were left before the end of the race. But then once the race was over, I've got my car hanging off the back of the tow truck like a Christmas ornament, and I'm sitting on the back of the wrecker coming back, and she sees me talking about it with whomever, gesturing with my hands like apparently I tend to do. And even though I hadn't talked with her or seen her, she saw me coming up talking with my hands, so she knew that I was okay. And as long as she confirmed that afterwards, then it was all good, and we'd figure out fixing the car from there. So yet another awesome memory with my mom, even though the conditions for that weren't, weren't exactly that. And then we moved forward another couple of years and I had moved from Formula Ford 2000 and kind of, took a step back and I went down and raced in Formula Ford. And I had an old uh, Doulon MP419 that I was doing really well with. But I had the opportunity at one point to sell that car to a gentleman from Colorado. And at the same time, buy a Ralt RT5 Super V, which to this day is probably the favorite car that I've ever owned uh, in terms of race cars. I wish I still had that one actually. But so the deal was that the Super V was in Springfield, Missouri, and the guy that was buying the Dulon the Formula Ford, was coming from Colorado. So we had kind of worked out this whole deal to meet in Colorado to drop off the Dulan, pick up the Super V. And in the days leading up to that, of course, I'm thrashing away in the in the shop, making sure the car's all good to go. It's all put together. I got all the spares accounted for. I got everything loaded in the trailer. So it was a couple of really long days and nights. And then uh, when the time came for us to, to drive down to Springfield, I had my dually truck and my trailer, and I think we didn't leave man, we didn't leave till probably midnight or something like that. And just to be sure that I was going to get there safe, because mom knew that I'd been thrashing to to make sure everything was ready to go. She decided to come with me to keep me company, make sure I stayed awake so I didn't drive the whole ball of wax off into the ditch and and ruin everything. So she was there keeping me company, talking about the most mundane things just to keep me going, even to the point where we had a cooler with, you know, sodas and waters and, and that kind of thing. She would dunk, Towels in the ice water, and then wrap them around my neck just to keep me awake. Which, God love her, because it worked. We we got there, we brokered the deal. A guy came and got the dulan, and then we stayed behind uh, for a couple days. Actually, got a hotel room to to work with the guy that I was buying the Super V from, so he could walk me through everything that I needed to know about that car. Preheating the oil, the spares, the setups. You know, the, explaining the ground effects because it had the side skirts, right? And mom was great about she, I mean, she, she watched like a hawk, man. She, she was sit on a a folding lawn chair, one of those ones with a weird ribbing, you know, that nobody seems to use anymore, but she was watching, paying attention, asking lots of questions. And man, I think she became better friends with the guy that I bought the car from than I did. And I liked the guy a lot, but you know, she just endeared herself to not only him, but everybody that she's come in contact with over the years. So thank God, mom, uh, for you keeping me awake and, and getting that deal done. Cause once I got that super V that's, that's the car that I won my very first race with. And it happened to be at road America. So I was obviously grateful for a lot of things there, but mom in particular. And then, uh, the last time, the last time mom got to see me drive was in 2006 when I had the opportunity to do my Indy lights rookie test. And that was at Chicagoland speedway. And at the time I had been working as the assistant track manager at the Audubon country club there, right there in Joliet and the track, uh, the Chicagoland speedway is right across the street from it and I'd managed to put together some some money from some of the the members and some donors and sponsors and that sort of thing to, to pay for the test but the trick with that was that I had never driven an Indy lights car in any way shape or form on any track anywhere before and not to mention the fact that I had never been on an oval track ever in my life and I had always been doing road racing stuff so about a month before the test you know mom came down and we went to the shop and and met the guys and you know kind of got fitted to the car and, and that whole thing and then she came back down uh, when we did the test which was October uh, of of 2006. So it was a cold day, definitely a cold day. Uh, We we actually had to wait till late in the morning to get going at all because it was cold enough that they had to wait for the ambient temperature to get high enough that the track was going to provide enough grip. And like I'm sure most Indy Lights teams do even today and and probably the IndyCar teams as well. And when you've got a new driver that's never done this before, they throw a ton of downforce in the car just to try to help them get comfortable, you know, and make sure the car is going to stick. So when we got rolling, yeah you know, she was there along with a really good friend of mine that I worked with at the audubon at the time and and she had come down so they were there to, to witness the test I wouldn't say watch the test because she was she was definitely a nervous wreck <laughs> to the point where and and my mom was a smoker right she was definitely a smoker but I tell you between her and my friend they sat in and my friend's Minnie Cooper and probably smoked a couple of packs of cigarettes just in the couple of hours uh, that I I did my rookie test. But, you know, she was was flipping out and listening to to the sound of that car going 200 miles an hour around Chicagoland Speedway. And there, too. You know that was that was one of those that I was not comfortable with, and a couple of a couple of IndyCar friends of mine t- said the same thing. The first time they they got into one of those cars on an oval, man, their their brain and their right foot were not in sync about keeping that thing flat because it did not feel good. So I had to kind of work to the point of you know kind of harkening back to that that kink accident uh, some years earlier at Road America and put my left foot over my right and just keep it down. And thank God. I did everything that they asked and passed my rookie test, and so I got I got my Indy Lights license, and and I'm glad glad that nothing happened because had I crashed that car, I had zero insurance. So if I'd have balled that thing up, I'd have been paying for it probably even still now. So, uh, but that was that was the last time Mom got to see me drive. Unfortunately, she she never got to see me race in the old Grand M series or in my Pirelli World Challenge or uh, World Racing League uh, events. So I'm sad that she wasn't able to see that, but I definitely kept her updated and, and she was very proud. And that makes me happy to know that she was proud of my accomplishments. And, you know, thanks to thanks to her constantly pushing me to, to do more and be more and, and not settle. You know, I've been able to carve out a pretty solid career in this motorsports gang, uh, game for, for a long time. You know, I taught at the Bondurant School for a number of years. As I said, I was assistant track manager there at the Audubon Country Club for a few years. I'm in my, I think, 12th year now teaching for the AMG Mercedes Driving Academy. And my third, I think it is, with both uh, Porsche as well as Lexus. And now I've also got some opportunities to host and MC for the McLaren Group, which I'll be doing actually this May for the 500. Which, ironically, mom would have been 78 this May on the 27th. She, she just didn't quite make it for that one more trip around the sun. So she was 77 when she passed. But our standing joke in the family over all these years, because I've obviously become very passionate about the Speedway and the 500 itself, but almost every year when I was when I was not living in another state, I would almost inevitably be gone on either Mother's Day or her birthday because I was at the speedway. And even though she gave me shit about that, she understood and she supported that, even though, you know, she always had her reservations, but she knew that I was, I was still going to do it anyway. And I, I did everything that I could to, to mitigate the, the, the risk and, and invest heavily in, in the the best safety equipment and that sort of thing. So, kind of a long a long couple of stories there but i just felt like rather than again rather than go down the road of you know all the the things that that mom taught me both you know intrinsically and and even the little lessons that uh, of things that she wanted me to do that i hated doing at the time have all come back and and i can't I can't possibly thank her enough and certainly we'll, we'll miss her every day. You know, is this past Saturday on the 22nd that we wave the checkered flag for her for the last time and and said goodbye for the final time. But I encourage you all to try to appreciate the people that are, are in your life and support you and kind of have your back kind of no matter what, because you know, whether it's a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or a child or whatever, you just have no idea when that last day is going to be there. So try to appreciate it before they're gone and appreciate them before they're gone. So with that said, folks, we're going to throw the checkered flag on this episode and be sure to come back in another couple weeks time. We will be back on our regular schedule as we get into the month of May and get prepped for the Indianapolis 500 with some race reviews and some catching up to do along with some, uh, some new guests. But uh, as we say that, one more time. Godspeed, Mom. I love you so very, very much. And thank you for all that you've done for me. So again, Mama Krause, this is a tribute to you. Thank you. She was 77, passed away on April 7th. So stay tuned for the latest in the greatest spectacle in podcasting. See ya.